It's our last Sunday on this series on not taking things for granted, not for granted. And um, I just want to read the scripture because this is where we started our series and this is where I want to end. And, and today I really, I want to dive in to the topic of, of cultivating a heart of, of grace and, and really understanding um, what grace is and how God pours his grace on us each and every day and how blessed we truly are and, and how much that grace actually cost Jesus. And I want us to get a proper understanding of that. And, and the verse we started this whole series with was 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, where it says this, Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, be thankful in all circumstances, be thankful in all circumstances. Let's say it together. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And, and, and I believe it's easy for us to take things for granted. We do it every day. We can take relationships for granted. We can take, um, we can take uh, our marriages for granted. Um, we can just take our daily living, the things that we have for granted if, if we're not careful. And, and I believe the one thing that keeps us and hinders us from, from um, not having a thankful heart is looking at these thing, things and, and feeling that we're entitled to them and, and not looking at them as a gift that God gives us each and, and every day. And so I want to look at this. What does it mean to, to, to really have a heart of, of, of grace? And what, one of the things that the Lord has just been uh, uh, speaking to my heart on is, is Barden, don't, don't lose your, your awe of me. D- don't lose the wonder that, that you have for me, the, the majesty that, 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 that I am, the, the grace that I show you, um, the person that I am, the glory that I want to show you. Don't, don't lose your awe of me. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't, God doesn't want us to take things that are, are sacred and make them common. And I think what, what can happen if we're not careful, we can take the things of God, the things that, that God sees as separate and holy, and we can make them common. They, they lose their effectiveness uh, in, in our lives. And, and what I want to do is as we uh, jump into this this last message in this series on not for granted. Um, we're living in very turbulent times right now. And things are getting redefined so quickly that it's hard to even know which way is up anymore. And I would have to say, I'm just going to be completely honest with you this morning. Pastoring so many years that I've pastored for, I would have to say the last five years have been unbelievable on how things have changed culturally and how things have been redefined. And each day something new comes up like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. And, 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 and we live in this society where things are, are changing so, so fast. And, and you're wondering, where, where do I fit as a follower of Jesus? How do I respond to this? Do I just get angry and mad? Do I just point my finger and you know, pound pound my fist on the desk? How do, we, how do we 
react to this? How do we react with what's going on, even with the election right now? How, how do I respond to this? Let me just say this. You need to come next week. So that's my little teaser for next week, because we're going to re- really dive into that over the, over the uh, next six weeks, starting next week. But I, I, I believe we have to have a correct understanding of God's grace. And we have to have a correct understanding on what Christ did for us and how we respond to what's going on in our society um, today. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I'm grieved. I am grieved over our country right now. And you can't even sit and watch a debate because you feel like I have to cover my daughter's ears because I have no idea what they're going to say. And it looks more like a Jerry Springer show than a presidential debate. We've got problems. And so here's, what I, here's, here's where I want us to be careful. Number one, we have to pray for our country. And I believe the church needs to humble itself right now. And we need to humble ourselves before God's hand and say, God, we need your grace to be poured out on our hearts that we can respond correctly to what's going on in our country today. I believe that the sacred things, the things that are set apart for God, the things that God sees that are holy and pure, we, we need to look at these things and say, God, what have you set apart? What, what are you looking at? How do, as, as a follower of Christ, I've got to follow these convictions in my heart and, 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 and stand for the things that you stand for with humility and grace. Um, let me just give you an example, because I believe one area that we can just take things that are sacred, that God sees as separate, as holy, and we can make them common. And I see that more and more as the years progress. Um, it was last year, there was this huge scandal that came out, and the scandal was through Ashley Madison, which was, a, which was a, a, a website where you could have a discreet affair. And um, basically their tagline was this, life is short, have an affair. And what happened is, if you remember the story, hackers released thousands of names of people who used their website. And this was everybody. This was pastors. This was, all these names got, got released. And there was an interview. And this is what really caught my eye. Um, that, that kind of gives a temperature of where we're at. The, the, they interviewed the, the, the founder of Ashley Madison. They, they interviewed his wife, the wife of the creator of Ashley, Ashley Madison. And, and um, this is what she said. She said that it was just business and that I, I would like it if my husband was working on a cure for cancer. But she said, it's our business, but it's not our value system. It's our business, but it's not our value system. See, what, what has happened? I believe what's happened is we, we don't see things as special anymore or held up in high esteem. Um, The Bible tells us that God has set things aside for a reason. Not just to make our lives miserable, 
but to actually bless our lives and to give it as a gift to us. And I believe marriage is a gift that God gives us, that God gives the church. And we're not supposed to take that, that lightly. This is just an example. Um, the Bible tells us to keep the marriage bed pure in Hebrews 13.4. I heard a pastor say it this way, and it just kind of really shook my heart. It resonated in my heart. He says, you don't put fences around weeds. You put fences around gardens. You don't put dirty socks in a safe in a hotel room. You put your most precious valuables there. And the reason why God designed intimacy for marriage is for this reason. It's precious. It's special. It's not to be treated as common. It's a gift of grace that God gives us. And I don't want us to take these things lightly. It's beautiful to the Lord. It's holy. That intimacy between a husband and wife is a holy thing that God has designed. Marriage is a picture of, of the covenant between Christ and his church. And, and, and I, what, 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 what we're seeing is that these the sacred things now are just being treated as common. And, and for the church, we need to say, God, am, am I taking some things that are special and sacred to you? And am, am I making them common in, in my life? You see, I believe for us to even react to what's going on in our world today, it's got to start within my heart. It's got to first be, it, God has to first speak to me and to my heart and where my life is. And, and am I treating things that are sacred to you? And am, am I beginning to take those things and treat them as, as common? God, am I losing my of you. I, I believe this is a great opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to begin to look at their own hearts, not to, not to point the fingers because all I'm seeing in our society today is just mud being thrown back and forth, but no one taking responsibility for their own lives and for their own course of action. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing as the church where we can hide behind the sins of others, but not look at our own hearts and saying, God, am I treating the things that are sacred to you as common? Am I valuing these things? Am I holding these things as separate to you as holy and sacred? Here's what I want us to understand. That there's forgiveness in Christ for our bad choices. That God wants us to experience his grace. And I know for some of you here, you've made bad, we've all made bad choices in our lives. We've done things wrong, broken relationships, broken marriages, so on and so forth. We've all made uh, bad choices in, in our lives. But there's forgiveness in the Lord, and God wants us to experience his grace. That's what I love about the story in John 8, where Jesus deals with the woman who's brought to him, who's caught in adultery. She's caught in the act of adultery, sinning against God, her her, her, her choice here is, is, is not very good because the only thing she has is death because the law said you would stone someone like that. And so these men bring her before Jesus and, and they say, what are you going to uh, do with this? And Jesus says, you, you know, without sin, cast the first stone. And then little bit by little bit, all these men leave who have brought this woman accused and caught in the act of adultery at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to her, I want you to look around. Where are your accusers? They're not here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declares to her, now go leave your life of sin. 
Now, was this sloppy grace? Was Jesus letting her off the hook? Was Jesus going against his very own word? Or or, or was Jesus going against the word of God? Not at all, because Jesus knew that he would eventually die for her sin of adultery. It It wasn't the point of whether or not she committed adultery or not. She was caught. But Jesus knew that he was going to go to the cross to die for that very sin that she committed that day. That's grace. She didn't deserve it. She didn't merit it. God gave it to her. In fact, God gave it to her before she even asked for forgiveness. I I was listening to two candidates speak about the whole issues. And one candidate said, well, if the other person would apologize, then grace could be given. That's not it. Because it's interesting how we get into these moral discussions. All of a sudden, when something happens, all of a sudden, everybody is a moralist. Everybody has their views on on what is right and wrong. But unless we come back to the word of God and understand what God's grace really is, we're building off the wrong foundation. And all of a sudden, we become very self-righteous and we begin to point the sins at what everybody else is doing and not looking at our own heart. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. We can't point the sins out of others without first looking at our own heart and understanding the magnitude of the grace that God went to to save us. I never want us to take God's grace for granted because it cost him everything. And in order for us to understand this amazing grace, we first have to understand ourselves and our own spiritual condition and where we're at and, and, and why we're in the mess that we're in today. Have you ever had someone come to you or say to you, I've got, I've got um, good news and I've got bad news? Don't you love that? So they always say, what, 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 do you want, what, what do you want to hear first? And we always say, well, well, give me the bad news. And we say, well, the bad news is I have no good news. No, I'm just, no. So it's, it's it, you know, you always hear that. So, so give me the bad news. So when we look at the word of God, we've got some bad news and we've got good news. Let me give you the bad news first. Here's the bad news. Is the, the bad news is that we're sinners and without God, we are lost and we'll spend eternity in damnation without God. That's, that's the bad news. And if you look through the scriptures, here's the reason why it's bad news. It's because we're all sinners and we're all separated from a holy God. There is no one that's more righteous than another apart from God. And King David said this in Psalm 51.5. He said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says in Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. The same chapter Paul says in Romans 3.10, he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Now, now Paul is not saying that we can't do good things because people do good things all the time. However, they cannot find salvation apart from Christ. Our goodness and righteousness will always come up short before a holy God. 
Revelation 21.8 says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderer, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolater, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That pretty much covers all of us right there. Even Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, speaking on the end times, he said, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Doesn't that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy, right? Those are the scriptures I don't want to read though, pastor, but they're there for a reason. The reason why they're there is because it gives the condition of our hearts. The truth of our spiritual condition without Jesus Christ is an eternity without him. Now, if I would leave you there, it would seem very hopeless, right? If I just left you there, it would seem very hopeless. And is there any answer? Is there any answer for our country? Is there any, is there any answer? Is there any hope? There is the answer. And here's the answer. Recognizing our hopelessness is the first step in finding help for every single one of us. Recognizing our hopelessness without God is the first step in finding help. And here's the answer. Jesus came to rescue us from the penalty of sin, which is death. People, the only answer for our country is Jesus, period. That's it. And here's how we live it. And here's how we live it. Here's how we live it as the church. Ruth's really fired up this morning. So I got Ruth all fired up. <laughs> we love Ruth. I love that she's fired up. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is where it's got to start. It's not, it's not starting by pointing the finger. It's not condemnation. It's got to start with us. It's got to start with my heart and realizing, realizing my depravity and realizing that I need Jesus in my life. So he, here's, here's the good news. Here's the good news. And here's what makes um, grace so amazing. Here's what it makes grace so amazing. After we read all those scriptures and, and realizing the depravity of my heart and realizing the separation that I have from God because of my sin and there's no way out, and my own strength. Here's the good news. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, again in verse 23 and 24, he says, for, every, for everyone has sinned, and we've all f- fallen short of God's glorious standards. But here, I love this word. I love the word in verse 24. He says, yet God, or but God. Yet God, in his what? Grace. Freely makes us right in his sight, He did this through who? Jesus Christ, when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's the good news. The good news is we're hopeless, but the good news is through God's grace, which we didn't earn or merited, he sets us free from the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This gift that God gives us through his son is the gift of his grace, that we didn't earn it or deserve it. It's a gift that God gives us. And then, and then Jesus gives his reason for coming in Luke 19.10, where he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save, what? That which was what? Lost. Every single one of us are lost. Now, 
Here's a great theological point. Are you ready? You can't be found unless you know you're lost. Listen. You can't be found until you realize that you're lost. Until you get to the point where you say, you know what? I need to ask for directions. And I know for every male, that's a problem, right? We never want to ask because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We want to be in control. We want to admit that I know the way, right? Meanwhile, we're 20 miles off course, right? Because we we don't want to admit that we're wrong. But that's the whole reason why Jesus came. He came for lost people. And when you admit that you're lost and you can't do it without God, that's the step in being found. Jesus gives us the way home. He shows us the way home. John 3, 16 through 18, here's what Jesus says about how we can be found. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's all about Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul reiterates this by saying, for it is by grace you have been saved by grace. You have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's what? It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So God's saying, listen, you didn't come to me in your own righteousness. You came to me with nothing. But through my gift of grace, I give you everything. I gave you my son. I poured out my blessings. This thing should humble us more than anything else. Realizing that I deserve nothing, but yet God gives me everything should humble us and to make us realize, God, I need you. I want you to notice that God's forgiveness for us is done through his grace and mercy towards us. It's all done through God's grace and mercy. Never do I want to take that for granted for what he's done for us. And so let, let me define God's grace. Let me, let me define it for you. And, and here's, 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 here's grace defined. It's unmerited favor. It's getting something I, I don't deserve. It's, it's unmerited favor. It's getting something I, I don't deserve. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a gift. Not only is it a gift, but it's a, it's a free gift. It's not a loan. It, I, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's, it's free. It didn't cost me anything, yet it cost Jesus everything. So that, that's, what, that's what grace is. It's, it's a gift it's a free gift. It's, it's not a loan. It's not how long you've gone to church. It's not how many Bible verses you've memorized. It has nothing to do with that. It's all free for those who come to Christ by, by faith. So if, if see, see, 
If, if I understand that, that God's salvation to me is, is a gift that's given to me by his grace, then there's nothing that God cannot ask of me. If, if I were to come to God and, and say part of it was, was my works and part of it is done by your grace, then I can kind of bargain with God. God said, you brought nothing to the table. You have no bargaining chip here. You were lost you, you were, you were, your, your eternal destiny was damnation. You brought nothing, nothing, nothing to the table. And I brought everything for you to reach down in your depravity to bring you out of the muck and mire. That's how much I loved you. That's how much I pour out my grace on you. If, if I earned my salvation by works or my good life, then I could make demands on God. I could tell him what I will do and not do. <clears throat> so this is what I have to rem- remind myself when it comes to God's grace. That God owes me nothing. I deserve everything that's coming to me. Yet he offers me this free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus, by grace, which I can receive or reject. I deserve nothing. Everything I deserve, I deserve. Yet he offers me this free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus, by his grace, And I can receive it or reject it. So I'm without excuse. You see, the grace I've received, I must live it out in the way that I treat others. If if this grace has truly saved me, and I understand the pure gratitude now that I have for God, and this grace that I've been saved with, then it has to be lived out in the way I live it in the world. So how is grace translated in the way I live it in my daily life? Because that's, that's what makes the difference, right? If, if, if I understand this grace that I've been saved from, then, then it's got to be translated in the way I, I live my life as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ. So let me give you a couple things around how we are to, to, to live out our grace. How living out God's grace in, in our lives. Is it, do, do I live out my grace by waiting for the other person to apologize? Then I can show grace. Mm-mm. It's not the way we live it. So here it is. God's grace will give me a deeper love for people. How, how can we love People that are unlovable or people that come against us. How can we love those people? We can only do it through God's grace because I was unlovable. I was enemies with God and yet God sends his son to die for me. That's the only way I can live it. When God's grace is taking hold of my heart and my life, then then it's going to give me a deeper love for people. God's grace, when it takes hold of my life, and I understand his saving grace, will give me patience with people. That one is for me, by the way. 
It wasn't long ago. Well, it was actually a long time ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago. Someone came up to me and they said, Pastor, I want to tell you what someone said about you. I said, oh boy. I'm assuming it's not good. And they said, no. And normally I would say, I I don't want to hear it. That's okay. They told me who the person was. I knew who the person was. And it was, there was something that had to be applied to church discipline in this situation, and, and which is never easy. And of course, this person wasn't happy with it. And so this is what the person said about me and the church. They said, how is Pastor Disgrace doing? And how is the not-so-living word church doing? Now, when I first heard that, of course, it hurts. And I know the situation, and I never said anything to the person about the other side of the story. And eventually that person did come up to me later, years later, and just said, you know, Pastor Barton, I've got to apologize to you about some things. I did say some things about you that weren't very nice. I said, I know. And at first, my heart is this, not very patient. You're thinking in your heart, well, that person, how dare they say that? And the person that they told doesn't know the other side of the story, so on and so forth. And what God showed me through that is this. He said, Barton, there are some disgraceful things in your heart. Never get to the point to where you are so self-righteous that you're beyond those things. And God actually humbled me through that. See, even when people come against us and they say things, God, it's by your grace you saved me. And I'm not perfect. And I know it's easy to defend ourselves and get mad at other people for what they say, but let's be careful. Let's be careful that we don't filter our hearts and our lives through God's grace all the time. Because we can, be, we can become just as self-righteous as what we're seeing today in our country. Capiche? Okay. God's grace will give me strength when I feel weak. I feel like I can't go on another day and I get so frustrated, but it's there that God says, in your weakness, I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you, God told the Apostle Paul. Grace will keep me falling into despair over my own sin. Praise God. You know, grace will keep me from falling into despair over the mistakes that I make in my life because we keep falling back on God's grace over and over and over and over again. God's grace will keep me from relying on myself and my goodness and my works. God's grace will will keep me from thinking too much of myself. It'll keep me humble before him. Here's, we just shut this thing down. Let, let me give you a couple things here. When you're struggling to offer grace, remember this. Remember these two things. Are you ready? Our debt to God is infinitely beyond our capacity to pay. And number two, our debt to God is infinitely greater than any person's debt to us. Just remember those two things. Our debt to God is infinitely beyond our capacity to pay. There's no way, God, through my righteousness and my goodness that I could ever pay you back. Remember that. That'll keep you humble. 
right? And number two, our debt to God is infinitely greater than any person's debt to us. No way we could ever pay back God for the things he's done for us. And so when we truly experience God's forgiveness for our sins, we will literally be transformed into forgiving people. I like what Randy Elkhorn says here. I have it in your notes there because it's such a great quote. He says, if only we could see our situation clearly, even for a moment, we deserve expulsion. He gives us a diploma. We deserve the electric chair and he gives us a parade. Anything less than overwhelming gratitude should be unthinkable. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. When you realize you deserve nothing better than hell, it puts a bad day in perspective, doesn't it? John Newton is the writer of the song Amazing Grace. We all know that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. That saved what? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved Pastor Disgrace, like me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I don't know if you know the background of John Newton, but he was a former slave trader, guilty of atrocious, just atrocious sins against man, and he knew that he was a wretch. How could God ever forgive him? He understood God's grace because that's the only way he could be forgiven for the atrocities against man. That is why he could sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton understood that God's grace has to be amazing in order for God to have saved him. The word wretched in the Greek language means this. It means calloused. It it, it means to be full of calluses. Right now, our country is full of calluses. Our country needs healing. People are confused. They're confused over gender. They're confused over everything. They're confused over roles. We're confused over marriages. We're we're confused. We're calloused. We're hurting. Now's not the time. Listen to me carefully. Now's not the time to shake our fists and to point out the sins of the world. Now's the time. Listen. I don't want to start preaching my sermon for next week, but listen. Now's the time for us to look at our hearts as the body of Christ and say, God, am I living by your grace right now? Have I humbled my heart before? Listen to me, church. Listen. 
Is my heart calloused? Are there hidden sins in my life that your grace needs to cover right now? Is there a hardness in my heart right now? Am I hiding behind the sins of others? Or God, has your grace covered me today? And so now's the time for us to sing that song and allow God to first filter his grace through my heart before I should ever, listen, before I should ever speak a word against what's going on today. God, filter my heart through your grace that you might humble me so that the words that come out of my mouth will be productive for building and healing, not destroying. Jesus came to build and bridge the gap between man and God. Read John 3, 16 through 18 again and again and again and again and again and again and again. For God so loved the world, this crooked, awful, ugly world. God loved it and sent his son right in the middle of it. Not to condemn it, but to show it the way to be restored again to a right relationship with God the Father. We have to lead by the right way, church. Let's lead by God's grace and humility. Let our words build. May we look at our own heart and realize there's a lot of things in my life that need to be corrected. May I first look at the plank in my own eye before I look at the speck in anyone else's. God, humble us first by your wonderful grace. And let us be the church that you've called us to be. This country needs that, Jesus. Savior, and they're lost without him. So Lord, right now we bow our hearts before you as the body of Christ. Lord, forgive us as the church for taking your grace for granted. It cost you everything. May May that humble us today. God, may we look at our own hearts and our own lights first. May may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto your sight, God. So God, filter our hearts. For anyone here, God, that needs your grace, that has not experienced it, God, all who call upon you by faith shall be saved. So I pray for anyone here that has not experienced your life-saving grace, God, through your son, Jesus Christ, I pray you would do that to every heart. For us, God, here who are bittered and angry, God, filter our hearts through your grace once again. And let us see this world through your eyes and through your heart. Do your work in your church, God, as we, as we sing this song, Amazing Grace. God, let it be our prayer. God, change our hearts first. We thank you, Lord. We pray for our country, God. We need a healing, Lord. We can't do it without you, God. Forgive us. God, forgive us. Forgive the church, God. 
We just need you today. So thank you for your grace as we sing this unto you. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. The only healer, the only thing that we could ever hope on and put our hope on, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this unto the Lord. God bless you.